Welcome back, everybody. Chris Bircher, Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom, Episode 36, Narcissism and Codependency. I have uh, some personal experience with these particular topics. I think they're words that we hear a lot. They um, are concepts that many people visit when they're exploring sort of their their own neuroses or their own personal issues or sort of the lifestyles and behaviors that they want to change. There's a lot of great books written, especially about codependency by a woman named Melody Beatty. And these are just words that are thrown around in our society and news articles all the time. And it being late 2020, by the time you see this, it'll be New Year's 2021. Um, the idea that our president, Donald Trump, is a narcissist. You hear that all the time. And this is a, these are topics or related topics that I've been wanting to explore for a long time and I just didn't have the courage or uh, I've been putting it off. You know, I had that feeling. Don't you ever get like that where you, you know you need to deal with something but you're kind of putting it off? So I wanted to do an episode about codependency and narcissism sharing some of my personal experience and just sort of my thoughts on these words and what they mean and maybe what they don't mean and uh, a little bit of the semantic issue I've talked about before where, you know, words have meanings, but then words sort of evolve and we use them differently. And I think there's, the important thing is I, I think there's something to be learned from the idea of narcissism and the idea of codependency and how we live our lives. And for people that suffer from either one of these things, maybe too much, or maybe you have a spouse who's narcissistic, or um, you know, maybe one of your parents was codependent or something like that, it's really hard not to make this personal. Um, so I will. My, I sort of grew up in a household, and you know, my armchair psychologist take on my growing up experience or whatever the influence that I had from my parents is that my dad had some narcissistic tendencies and my mom had some codependent tendencies. And this sort of set me up for what people have described as the classic narcissist codependent relationship where uh, a narcissist, you know, I, we, we define these terms a lot of ways, but let's go ahead and, and get it out there. Sort of what I think the general definitions of these terms are. A narcissist typically is characterized as somebody who's pretty selfish or self-centered that puts their needs or their desires or their wants before other people to the extent of, oh, you know, sometimes the exaggerated definition includes things like, you know, ignoring other people's needs or only seeing relationships as serving themselves and, you know, sort of set up to be where literally the whole world revolves around a person. Um, they get their energy when people tell them they like them. They want to be they want to be esteemed constantly by the outside for people to tell them how great they are. Um, they don't want narcissists don't want people to need them or pull energy away from them, but simply to feed their needs and and to be involved with somebody again classically an extreme example of a narcissist will only have people in their lives that are sort of like yes men and women who support whatever it is that they want to do. Uh, and so there's an element of self-centeredness, of selfishness. Um, and, you know, the, the classic sort of, the, there's a the vanity smurf, you know, where, you, where you're constantly looking in the mirror and constantly telling yourself you're great and just sort of worshiping your own awesomeness, I guess, is a part of that. And there are other elements to these definitions. Um, and certainly there's a, a sort of a psychological... Um, you know, uh, um, condition that people have, I guess, can be diagnosed as malignant narcissists or partial narcissists. And, and there's a, so there's probably very precise descriptions of what this sort of syndrome is that would describe a person who's exceptionally narcissist. But I'm not really all that interested in that because I think we sort of use the word as a society to describe, to describe just really arrogant, egotistical, self-centered people. You know, that person is a narcissist because whatever. Uh, for me, well, let me go ahead and I'll put out there that the, the codependent flip side of that is where you get your esteem from uh, uh, helping, other pe- helping other people or, or adding to other people 
people's lives or doing what other people want from you, where you sort of a codependent person will prioritize other people's needs over their own and sort of learn to, instead of, no, I'm trying to set this up to where these things are almost sort of opposite ends of a continuum, narcissism on one end and codependency on the other, where a codependent, where a narcissist person would get direct esteem from people by having people tell them they're great, and a codependent person would need to give somebody else energy in order to feel that they have value in in, in themselves, um, where you you prioritize other people's needs over your own and you sort of get by by filling the role of being a servant or a, a server or um, someone who addresses another person's needs. So a codependent person by nature needs other people to care for, uh, you know, and, and, and both of these terms. And so that's sort of the, the extreme version, like I said, of a narcissist is somebody who's exceptionally self-centered and all of those other things. And the extreme version of a codependent is basically a doormat, someone who will let a person, another person or other people walk all over them. Uh, and their entire identity becomes about other people. Whereas a narcissist, their entire identity becomes about themselves and their and their own needs, and so you could sort of set up all the sort of um, value systems or uh, lifestyle descriptors or personality traits or whatever about these things in such a way that they would be almost opposite. And if not opposite, then let's at least consider the fact that a codependent person is an excellent partner in in a way for a narcissistic person. And and in the same way, a narcissistic person is an excellent partner for a codependent person in terms of their sort of erroneous ways of living or their psychological neuroses or whatever you want to call them. If they are, if the the goal was to express a hundred percent of the traits of one end of both continuums, the two would get along really well because the codependent person would sit around all day waiting for the narcissistic person to need something to be told they're great or, or whatever, and they would gladly do that and then sort of fulfill their own personal identity by doing that. And the narcissistic person, of course, would receive all of this praise and, and whatever from the codependent person and, and, and sort of meld. And what, what psychologists and sociologists and other people have observed is a lot of times, you know, subconsciously or something that we're unaware of, these two personality traits will attract one another because they're they're ideally sort of mel, um, fit they ideally fit together by complementing uh, one another, and so I think there are a lot of relationships out there that suffer from this. And my my own personal my first marriage, you know, I don't I don't want to come across as saying my ex wife was a narcissist. Now I will come across as saying that I was very codependent in that relationship, and I think I. You know, I learned that by observing my parents, and I'm not even to go back a couple steps. Going to say that my mom was a doormat or my dad was a narcissistic asshole. I just think they had their relationship took on those emergent sort of traits through time. Maybe my dad was a little bit more selfish, and that left my mom with a lot with three kids to take care of, and sort of somebody needed to play the nurturing role or whatever. And so those things just sort of developed through time. And in their older age, my mom has become a lot more independent, and my dad has become a lot uh, more de- dependent in different ways uh, on my mom as those relationships evolve. So I would not describe either one of them, you know, as an extreme example of either one of these things, just that those tendencies were present. And that's what I learned as a kid was sort of to take those things literally. And I think, um, you know, so in my first marriage, I think my ex-wife was, you know, and I don't want to use these terms in a derogatory way. She was better at getting her needs met, I guess, and, and being a little bit in a healthy way, probably self-centered and selfish and sort of just aware of what it was that she needed to do to get by in life. And where I was, you know, if you want to stack this up as sort of being good and bad, I struggled with those sort of things. I was, um, I was more, I believed that a relationship required more of an effort from especially the male partner in a, in a heterosexual relationship to be aware of a woman's needs, to sort of be available, you know, and that's sort of where I began is like, I'm going to be different from the typical man and I'm going to, I'm going to be more nurturing in my relationship. And, uh, as our marriage evolved, I think both of us started to take on 
you know, sort of spread further apart on that continuum where my ex-wife learned uh, more to um, be more selfish, I guess, and maybe became less in, in, in less of a healthy way. And I became sort of more codependent in less of a healthy way. And we just sort of wandered farther and farther away from one another. And what that did to sort of our person, you know, think about that. I always think, you know, why would someone not take, it would be difficult to not take advantage of an extremely codependent um, partner if they're always around to clean up your messes and to make you a sandwich and to do all the shit that you didn't want to do. If somebody's around that's going to do all of that for you, it's really hard not to take advantage of it. Maybe you're a little bit tired. You don't want to get up off the couch and answer the phone. You, 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 whatever it is, and the other person's always there willing to do that. Well, I think over time that gets more and more exaggerated. And, uh, you know, in the lack of positive feedback on either side, you start to believe in your own personal viewpoint about your identity in, in that relationship. And so, you know, we, I guess, in effect, maybe pushed each other apart to the, to the extent where I think I eventually became a doormat and she eventually became sort of just... Um, no one would say narcissistic, or it could be argued that, and I'm not, I'm not trying to protect really either one of us. I'm just trying to soften this a bit and, and, and not really uh, prescribe blame. Um, she just became more selfish, and again, maybe in a, in a negative way. But one could. You know, what gets me about this whole thing is you can call someone a narcissist, say Donald Trump, for example, or you could say, he has really good boundaries, and he really knows what he needs, and he's good at getting his needs met. So using terms like codependent and, and, and narcissism in a negative way really describes these extreme endpoints that I don't think many people really occupy all the time. And then I'll add on top of that that I think all of us, any healthy personality or identity type has codependent and narcissistic traits. We'll just, instead of using those terms, we'll call them, you know, empathy and um, self-awareness and being able to get your needs met. Those are good qualities, right? So depending on the terminology we use to describe basically the same suite of characters, maybe not with the same intensity or, 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 or strength, you know, it's, it's a really weird thing to think that, um, it could just be a matter of interpretation, and I and I learned all this when I sort of realized what I, what I had become in my marriage. Essentially, a doormat who was willing to do anything, literally, to make the relationship work, to make my partner happy, to get through the day, or to be what I thought was healthy. It just it it, it was almost like gaslighting in a in a mutual sense where that just became the norm, uh, and and so when I when that marriage was over, I had a lot to deal with and sort of say, oh, shit, you know, I, now that I don't have this thing to take care of, what am I doing? What have I done? What, what is this behavior all about? Why, how did I learn this? How do I get rid of it? What's a healthier way to live? And, and you know, I think there's probably like along this continuum from narcissism to codependency, there's probably a little bubble or, you know, maybe it's like a bell curve and there's like a little bubble in the middle that has the healthy capacity to be empathetic towards other people, to be able to sort of imagine what their needs and their and their wants and, and their conditions are, uh, and then also being able to watch out for yourself. You know, having some combination of the generalized traits that characterize both of those, again, sort of conditions or whatever you want to call them, psychological, you know, prescriptions for neuroses, whatever, uh, is a healthy thing. You want a little bit of all that. All people should be able to identify what their needs are and have those needs met and then be able to also put up boundaries between them and other people when they become uncomfortable and they don't feel like they're, they need to do whatever it is they're being asked to do in any given situation and say no. Uh, as a codependent person, you essentially, all those go away. You have no boundaries and you let people do to you and take from you whatever. Um, they need, they, they're asking and you just give, 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 and that's not healthy. And I guess on the flip side of that, using that same sort of 
language, a narcissistic person doesn't have a respect for anybody else's boundaries and just sort of says, my needs are more important than your needs. You know, my needs are more important than your needs on the narcissistic end. Your needs are more important than my needs on the narcissistic end. It's really pretty simple. And neither one of those things is healthy because they're both all or none. Everybody should have a little bit of everything. And in a healthy relationship, I think we have to communicate about those things because sometimes you have to sort of, you get into a, in a situation where you don't know who's right. Like, well, my needs are higher than your needs in this particular moment, so you need to give me. And the other person might say, well, no, your needs are pushing up against the boundary and you need to take care of that for yourself. And how are we going to resolve this? And this is a situation I find myself in all the time, probably because I spent so much of my life living as a codependent doormat and never really analyzing these things or understanding how this happens in a healthy world. And in one last defense of sort of my ex-wife, I think she had a much better understanding about that. And it just got easier and easier about about how to resolve situations. You know, you just walk away. You know, if I can't get from you what I need, then I'm just fine. Um, but if you need more from me, you know, you got to do the same thing. I, I, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe that doesn't make any sense. But I do think that those personality traits became more and more extreme through the course of our marriage. And, 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 I, and I guess my point is there's nobody to blame for that. I don't think she was born with some predisposed um, narcissistic disorder. And I don't think I was born with any predisposed codependent disorder. I think over time, you you know, which of the two wolves wins is the one you feed. She was just better at getting her needs met and feeding her selfish wolf. And I was better at feeding my codependent wolf. Um, and then the divorce was an opportunity for me to sort of figure that out. And, you know, 10 some years later, I'm still trying to figure it out because I still have this strong set of life experiences that has made what well, has led me to become hyper aware of other people's needs and also have part of my identity be linked to me being the hero sort of archetype that is available to meet all these people's needs. And I get self-esteem and my identity gets, you know, my narcissistic traits get stroked and fed when I feel like I'm uh, taking care of other people's needs. And, and again, how you say that can make all the difference. In you know, that 80s, you know, sitcom, if the angry, punk, you know, selfish, more narcissistic man through some course of events becomes more empathetic and understanding and uh, helps other people out. They're the hero. And that's sort of who I, you know, maybe I watched too many 80s movies growing up. I always, instead of being the selfish person, I always just wanted to be more empathetic. I saw that as being more valuable and, 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 Ultimately, as a mechanism for people to love me or to like me, right? So, you know, there's a, there's there's some unhealthiness and some you know um, decent traits wrapped up in there. But and how you talk about them really sets the tone for whether or not you think it's a healthy thing or a non healthy thing. And so it becomes super muddy, arguably along that whole continuum of narcissism and, and codependency, if, if indeed it is even a continuum. But I think for argument's sake, we can consider those things to be sort of polar opposites. And I think the according to the psycho- psychological research and, and what you know therapists say come through their office all the time, this idea of one person prioritizing their needs as being higher than another person is probably pretty common, and I would even argue that most heterosexual relationships in history, up till maybe about a hundred years ago, the woman in that stereotypical marriage or whatever um, was took on the codependent role, and the man took on the narcissistic role. Now, that's not what we called them then, but I think and again, this is based on anecdotal evidence at best and my sort of observation of the world, it seemed like a lot of families, marriages, the man worked and used that as leverage to suggest that his needs were more important. That in order for him to be able to go to work every day, which arguably 
was sort of the pyramid of the fam- or the foundation of the family, earning the wage that funded their life. But all he needed all this shit taken care of, and that part of that is getting his needs met. Whether that was going to the bar after work every night to drink a few beers to calm down before he came home, or you know to not have to take care of the kids or change diapers for what you know up until the fifties, did men change diapers? I'm sure there were exceptions. Don't throw that at me. I'm talking about on average the normal condition up till probably the fifties or sixties um, in a heterosexual relationship, probably on average around the world. This, these roles emerged where a man's priorities were a man's needs were prioritized over a woman's needs and women did most of the dumb women did most of the laborious tasks that were difficult challenging hard emotionally frustrating all those things and the man didn't he would I, I actually I, I was my wife and I current wife um, were seeing a Marriage counselor one time, just, you know, check in with each other. We do that um, fairly frequently throughout a couple, couple times a year just to make sure if there's anything that needs to be said that we're struggling with or whatever that or just difficult to talk about at home. It's easier to bring that stuff up then. I think it's a healthy, good thing. But uh, the, the counselor was actually talking about a couple he had seen um, that had just had their first baby. And the and the woman was sort of struggling with the, the duties around the house where it was it was what I would call a stereotypical 50s marriage where she did everything and the man went to work and he saw that as i'm doing all the hard stuff i gotta go do a job i don't like to get the money that basically is the seed for our ability to exist together and so this is the priority this is my role this is what i do this is what all men do and he said well hey this is what the marriage counselor's telling me i mow the grass take care of the cars And you do everything else. And he thought that was balanced. And maybe that's an artifact of, you know, many will argue that men just aren't aware. Okay, so here's the classic codependent narcissist thing. If you are fairly codependent and you're closer to a doormat and you're basically getting off on taking care of everything in hopes that you'll be appreciated, and that's how you associate your identity as being this heroic figure in a relationship by doing all these things. problem with that is, of course, when people don't recognize uh, and help you meet your needs and, and reward you and all those other things and help you, then you, get, then you feel resentful against them. And that's what sort of pushes us further and further apart. Um, either men are unaware of everything that their wives were doing or they are aware, and they're just hoping nobody says anything. And I, and I tend to think, when I say 50s dad, I'm talking about the men who are, they understand. <laughs> they get it, but they really don't want to deal with it. And if their wife is willing to deal with it, then that's then I'm, I don't have to say anything. I'm just going to go on, keep my head down. I think, there were, I think there are still a lot of relationships like that, and I think it was the dominant relationship style up until very recently. And I would even further argue that a lot of the struggles we have today are a result of trying to change those things. You know, and I'm the perfect example because in both of my marriages, I would am not the primary caregiver, and I have, I don't have any of that '50s dad right to sort of say my needs are more important, and we have to prioritize me because I'm the one going to work. I'm not, and I don't see my wife now saying that to me. She's she, she hasn't turned that around. We are pretty good, I think, and she probably still does a little more than me about taking on the hard stuff. Uh, you know, she's appreciative to me because I make coffee every morning, I take the garbage out, I take care of all the, you know, mechanical stuff. Um, I do my part with the kids, uh, but she still, you know, is the mom and she does the, gro- you know, she gets the groceries and she does all, she tries to do it all. And, and admittedly, there are times when I'm like, thank God she's going to the grocery store because I really don't want to go and I'm not going to offer you know, or whatever. Uh, so that is a struggle for women, especially to grow out of that role, which I think is super healthy and sort of demand more equality in a relationship and, and in politics and all that other stuff too, to undo some of the damage of hundreds of generations of eating the shit uh, of the man. And then maybe that's controversial, but uh, from where I said, I think it's hard. I would love to 
to have the discussion about whether or not that's true or whether there's any accuracy at all in, in what I'm saying. And I know there is accuracy in it. Uh, and, uh, you know, certainly there are exceptions, and I don't know how widespread it was, but this codependent narcissist thing worked, right? And from the man's perspective, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And from the woman's perspective, it's fucking broke. <laughs> and we need to fix it. And a, a lot of our struggles, I think, in relationships nowadays are related to that. You know, uh, that's a pretty strong precedent. Um, and I think few of those men are narcissists and few of those women are codependent doormats in a, in a psychological, you know, dilemma sort of way. But I think we all, true equality anyway, if that's the goal or equivalence or whatever, means both understanding your needs and your boundaries, so what you, what you have to have and what you, what you absolutely won't do for both parties involved, and then this communication about what those things are. You know, when I, you bump up against my boundaries, I have to say something. And, and that's where I, I'm really, I struggle because I'm so terrified of what that reaction is going to be. You know, no, I can't get, get our daughter from daycare today because I have this. You know, I am, my tendency is just going to be like, yeah, I can do it. And then I'll eat my own shit over here and just cancel or whatever I have to do that I'm not going to get my thing done because I'm going to take on that responsibility. And a lot of that, you know, a lot of the codependency and narcissistic things that I'm talking about anyway are relevant to relationships, you know, to the, to the, the, the joining. I think maybe what I'm getting at is, if allowed, well, first of all, they say that codependents and narcissists, narcissists or people with those tendencies, again, no labels, not calling somebody a narcissist or calling somebody a codependent, but those people tend to attract each other in relationships, right? Think about it. I mean, if you're a, if you have codependent tendencies and your identity is sort of um, aligned with making people feel good and seeing the joy that that brings them, giving people compliments, giving people hugs, taking care of somebody else's doing, you know, clearing the dishes for somebody or, you know, all, all, you know, many of us have these traits. We, we like to take care of people. And that's sort of my natural tendency, I guess. Um, and so, you, you know, when you do that and it makes somebody happy and they're like, oh, thanks, that's great. That's a spark, right? That's a, you know, oh, hey, this is, this is, there's some chemistry here. I, I, I like doing stuff. They like having stuff done. This is working out. And that, you know, if a relationship begins that way, it's not that hard to see where that could become extreme. And then eventually, when, when it's nice and easy and convenient, to make somebody feel good by doing them favors or services or whatever, then it's great. And they appreciate it and they smile and the, and the, and the, and the loop is closed, right? That, that worked. That, it feels good. Maybe it's not the healthiest. Maybe I shouldn't or whoever shouldn't be that strongly linked. Making people feel good shouldn't be that strongly linked to their identity. Maybe that's unhealthy and maybe that needs to be dealt with prior to getting in a relationship. But I do really ask the self-awareness to do that or the patience. Um, or maybe it's a terrible thing to want to help people, but I, that's a hard argument to make. Um, and maybe, you know, inherent laziness, um, where you are just looking for someone to take care of all your shit is, is a negative trait, but come on. I mean, it's nice to do little favors for each other. That's how people show their love. Um, but, it's also easy for people who have more selfish tendencies to look for those people, maybe even subconsciously, to take care of them and think, yeah, this is what I want. I want a spouse to take care of me. Um, and then another person would say, I want to take care of someone. And that works out really great as long as both sides are appreciative, as long as there are some sort of limitations to that sort of behavior. And there certain can, certainly can be and probably are relationships where one person is a caregiver and one person is a little bit more, um, um, you know, has a different role that need, is the taking care of one. 
And they stay close enough together where they both get their needs met and, and this, this person does enough to take care of this person and make sure that they're happy and gets time off and gets everything that they need. And that probably works out great. And maybe that's you know where I started, and maybe that's where my parents started, and sort of traveled all through the different you know extremes and either one of those things, uh, and that's all wonderful, and there's nothing wrong with it, and it's fine. But there does come a time when if any person, no matter if they're in a relationship or have anything to do with narcissism or codependency or whatever, is not getting their needs met, then we have a problem. If you at the because that. I think this has just sort of occurred to me. That's not a good condition to be in. Um, whether it's an emotional need or a physiological need or food and shelter, basic needs like that, that's going to leave a person longing, you know, incomplete, needing something else and in need of. And so I think being in need is probably universally going to be considered a potentially negative condition, especially if it, if it lasts. If you're thirsty, you need to drink or you're going to die. If you um, need to be heard emotionally and no one will listen, th- something needs to happen or that could become a bigger problem, that, that sort of thing. And it's difficult for me to assign that kind of empathy or sympathy with someone whose needs are more inherently selfish. So let's flip that whole thing and say, well, I need everybody to take care of me today and sit around and watch football. Um, yeah, okay. You know, maybe there's some legitimacy there. Maybe there's some legitimacy to, I need a break. I need to relax. I've worked really hard. I need some downtime. I need to recharge my batteries. Okay, those are all reasonable things. But when that becomes an every weekend, I'm not doing jack and, and, or, and I'm not getting off the couch, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure one could successfully argue that that is uh, as legitimate a need as communication or water or food or shelter. Um, so there's probably a continuum of different needs, and some of those needs are going to lend, you know, people are going to have to go up, throw up with their hand and say, mm, I don't know about that. I think that's a want. <laughs> so, you know, can we as a species, as, as society, assign a gradient to these needs and sort of rank them? Well, I don't know, but I think we certainly have to do that in a relationship. And relationships that start off a little out of balance where one partner's needs may be a little bit more selfish and another partner's needs are a lot less selfish, that's got the potential to become dangerous. But, uh, and so to sort of flip all that on its head, I struggle, and maybe other codependent people or people with codependent tendencies struggle with being selfish. And that, and that sounds like a such a arrogantly douchebaggy thing to say, but I really do. Like I would love to make more time to do like this podcast is a great example. I feel guilty doing this because I could be doing something else for somebody in my family that they need, or at least, you know, not saying, okay, my daughter wants me to wash her car. I'll go wash her car. That's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like, if my wife this is something that happened recently, sees a crack in the ceiling. She's going to notice that crack and get frustrated and worry that the house is going to fall apart or some other thing, and it's not going to sit well with her. Now, if I had spent the weekend going through the house and looking for cracks or problems, I could have found that before she noticed it and in that way alleviated any stress that she may have. That's the kind of weird sort of doormatty, uber-codependent, sort of things that I'm talking about. That actually occurs to me as something that I should have taken care of. So it didn't messed up, but it, it's just my it's just my way. It's just my natural thing because I don't want her to be uncomfortable, not from a altruistic way reason, but so, a selfish reason because when she's uncomfortable or upset, it makes me uncomfortable and upset. And there therein lies the sort of <clears throat> dilemma for codependence. You know, I I don't go around looking to take care of people out of the goodness of my heart. I don't want them to have problems because their problems become my problems. And there's part of the neurosis, right? 
That's not really true. Other people's emotions are their responsibility. I get that. But it doesn't feel like that to me. It feels like as part of this relationship, I and not the primary breadwinner, it's my responsibility to do something of value. And what can I do of value when I don't earn any money? And uh, that's, you know, make people happy. And maybe that's a really good description of what a code, what a codependency is really like, and that's my nature. Now, what happens is, I in if that's the extreme role a person is going to take, then your whole life becomes about looking for thing problems to solve before they happen. So not only are you like spending most of your energy scanning the environment for potential issues, you're reading everybody's mind and making decisions ahead of time for them and robbing them of the ability to manage their own emotions. I mean, what does that really look like? If I if I was, you know, 100% effective at taking care of everybody's business and meeting all of their needs, then there would be no emotional struggles for any member of my family. And those emotional struggles are important <laughs> because they have to learn to manage them themselves in order to be good people. Because what happens when they're at work and I'm not there and something bad happens? I mean, isn't that a, that's an that's a interesting dilemma? And I think a lot of parents do that for their kids. They want their kids to have a perfect life. And so they wear themselves out trying to regulate their kids' environment so there will be no emotional struggle whatsoever. And then the kid goes off to college or leaves the house or whatever and doesn't have any emotional ad, uh, abilities because they never had to. And they freak out. I mean, to a certain degree, that's what happened to me when I went to college. I mean, my mom made my bed and cleaned up after me. I, I never I never even thought about it. It's just what she did. Because probably, or maybe she was bored. My mom didn't work. She was a homemaker, stay-at-home mom. Maybe she was bored and gave her something to do. Or maybe she had those codependent tendencies, probably, since I can relate to that. And just did all that stuff for me because she thought she was doing good. And in, in many ways it was, and I figured it out and, and, and sort of became it, <laughs> you know, it was, and maybe that's the pattern. I don't know. I don't think anybody really knows. And it doesn't really matter. I think it's important to sort of identify these things to sort of understand the difference between healthy self-awareness and self um, care and narcissism. And I think it's important to have a degree of empathy sympathy, and genuine um, desire to cooperate with people in your life and, and, and the difference between that and codependency. But they're, you know, I don't want to say it's a slippery slope, but, you know, people are going to have a natural tendency in one of those two directions and some of us probably have, some people probably have a healthy balance right in the middle, and that's what we strive for. But in the right environment, that healthy self-awareness or self-care can certainly become narcissistic, and that healthy empathy can certainly become codependent. And by... Not by memorizing a definition for a test, but for sort of understanding that continuum of, I, I, I wish I could describe this whole sphere of conditions with a universal term or general term. You know, it's, um, it's, like, it's like the connectedness episode, uh, or individual versus connectedness. You, I think you have to sort of balance... Your independence and your individuality and your separateness in the universe as a body and a mind and an identity and all those things with the fact that you're overlapping with everybody else's identity and all that. You know, we are ultimately individuals, but we live in a world of other individuals. And so there's this need for a balance um, and the, the the problems that arise when individuals are out of balance. 
It's almost like by the very nature of being a multi-individual species, we've made a unconscious agreement to tolerate each other. But some of us choose to push that unconscious agreement in one direction or the other, toward the individual or toward the community. And maybe on the whole, it all balances itself out and there's some narcissists and there's some codependents and, you know, everybody else is kind of in the middle on this bell curve thing. But ultimately, to achieve the greatest achievements we can as individuals, to really master our bodies, spirit, mind, individuality, personality, identity, I think you've got to develop skills on both sides. And maybe that's just the weird need I have for balance, but it just makes more sense to me to think that managing the Goldilocksian middle, the just right, is, is, is probably an element or descriptive or representative of having mastered what it is to be a human. And really all I'm concerned with, I guess, is identifying the endpoints and the extremes, the, the boundaries through which you move when you, when you leave sort of the, the healthy middle, the healthy balance of self-care and empathy, for others, self-care, you know, for meeting your needs and meeting other people's needs, that, that middle sort of Goldilocksian center, and where those walls or boundaries or the, or the boundaries of that sphere are when you start to slide one way or the other. And really, I think it's totally excusable and allowable and understandable and common and natural to, to shift sort of around and, and push those boundaries but the key is not to slide completely one way or the other because I definitely think that's bad for everybody. You know, if uh, a empathetic person becomes a codependent doormat, then they lose their ability to, to be a person. They lose the identity that is them, their uniqueness, and, they, and, they, and they, they are unable to share their gifts with the world um, in a healthy way or there's benefit. You know, it's like your your return on that investment is is gone at that point, and I think that's I God I hate to say a wasted life, um, but I, I I think it's the less desired condition. And then certainly, if somebody with more selfish tendencies that becomes too self centered becomes a malignant narcissist, whatever that means then they're taking too much energy from the world. Uh, and that becomes an, an, an imbalance, and it's a, it's a great return on the investment, but the investment is at the cost of other people. It's like the narcissist has reduced the capacity for m- multiple other individuals in the world to live their lives to the fullest. And in enabling a narcissist, the more codependent person has robbed the world of their individuality. And, and, and so there, and there's something I didn't really talk about before. In as much as we could blame Trump for being whatever Trump is or blame whatever narcissist you can choose for being narcissistic, that person exists because of the enabling behavior of codependence, right? And the codependent exists through the enabling behavior of the narcissist. Um, maybe. I'm not sure about that second half, but I feel pretty strongly about the first one. And so that 50s dad motif persisted through time for so long because there were so many women who so, uh, sub, subconsciously, unconsciously, or totally consciously enabled those men to do that. And now we live in a really neat time um, uh, where I think they've They've stopped doing that as much, <laughs> and it really it really bothers me when I see that. Even though I don't love, you know, I guess part of me would love to be blissfully ignorant and have someone take care of all my shit and do whatever I want all the time and get to make all the decisions, like I stereotypically describe the '50s dad's privilege as being. But we're watching a YouTube channel now, and uh, it's a married couple with kids. And I'll, I'll 
protect their identities by not saying too much, but they're our age. They're probably, well, it might be in their fifties now. Um, and the way the wife talks about the dad and watching their behavior and everything, I get a real fifties dad vibe, you know, and, And and I and no judgment really. All I'm all I just suffice to say that that kind of bothers me. I just want to be like, maybe I'm just super hyper aware of these things in relationships because I've had to deal with it directly in order to you know protect myself and to ensure that my marriage will last and and when and neither one of us will fall into those same traps again. And I'm not too worried about it, but I just you know something I had to do learn from my part of my divorce and grow from that. That's, that's all I'm saying. And so when I see that on other people, it makes me kind of go, Ugh, I wish I could step in and offer some unsolicited advice <laughs> at the same time. Is that really my role? Um, so, yeah, I think that's, I think I said everything that I wanted to say about that. And um, I guess I would just say if you, I sympathize, obviously, more with the codependent side than the narcissistic side, just simply because I think codependents need more help, and narcissists need less support. You know what I mean? It's like, that's just the way it's it's made. Um, narcissists have developed the healthy ability for self-care. They don't have a problem with that. Codependents don't have that. Um, whereas codependent people have the healthy capacity for empathy and maybe narcissists don't have that. And and then I feel sorry for that. I feel sorry about that. But the codependent people stand to be hurt more and struggle more. And you think about sort of the classic abusive relationship and, and any outsider would say, just leave. And the abused person in that relationship will just say, I can't, you know, and, that, and that's really just because they don't have that self-esteem they don't have that ability. And so I have more empathy for the people suffering on that side. But really, we should, cons- cons- should. I think it would be really cool if, when telling a story about a narcissist codependent or a relationship between narcissists and codependent, again, generalizing, that we could have sympathy for both and for to be able to help both sides move more toward the middle in a more healthy condition and just sort of talk about these things in a way that removes the power. And I guess that's really what it's about is narcissists have more power. Self, self-aware people have more power and we need to shift that power from, you know, more toward the middle to a position of equality, equitability, and fairness uh, from where it is. And so I see more of a need to help the more empathetic people with codependence tendencies learn how to pull the power back and then teach, you know, or, or help these more selfish people learn to share a little bit better. You know, I don't know what's harder teaching somebody, um, how to share or teaching somebody to share less. You know, it, it seems like if they already know how to do it and backing off would be easier, but I'm not so sure that's the case. I'm not so sure it's easy to tell, um, a classic hero character archetype caregiving person to back off. You know, that for me, that's pretty scary because the the fear is that if you don't do that, then nobody will love you. So if you're asking me to step back, you're asking me to take the risk of losing everything because I think codependent people believe the only reason they have what they have is because they do what they do. And I just feel more sadness about that, I guess, probably because that's how I am. Whereas a narcissistic person is more like, I get what I need. Who cares about y'all? It's like one side cares too much and one side doesn't care enough. And again, these are, those are all really generalized terms, but I think it would be really cool if we could just learn to see these conditions as sort of equivalent and the need for both conditions to, to be modified equivalently, just in a different direction. And that, Even in talking through that whole thing, I still see it as a continuum with two fairly distinct endpoints. And like many things in life, um, the balance between the two is probably uh, the right thing. And uh, the last thing I guess I'll reiterate is that 
the boundary, these boundaries between a healthy condition or characteristic or trait or um, habit and an unhealthy one is really narrow. And I don't want to believe in sort of the slippery slope fallacies, but, you know, the distance from being, but the distance between self-care and narcissistic isn't very far. You know, sometimes it can just be 10 minutes longer of an activity because you didn't consider that the other person might need you to be home. And so those tiny little increments are hard to identify hard to manage um and so i guess we all should forgive ourselves a little bit and 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 then again that's why i think we should be careful when we use terms like he's a narcissist therefore they're bad and maybe they don't know maybe they don't understand maybe that this has been a gaslighting effect of so many so much time that they just happened and uh the same thing for somebody you might consider to be a doormat you know, how did they get like that? It's not like they chose to be like that. Let's have some a healthy amount of sympathy and a conversation and a vernacular that puts this out in the forefront so that more people are aware of it and you don't have to be ashamed of, of how you are. Um, instead, you have the resources that you need to change that just a little bit. I think that's what it's all about. So I hope you have enjoyed my uh, discussion of narcissism and codependency and how they relate. And um, I'd love to hear your stories about how this works. And if um, you can do me any kind of favors, share this, you know, my show with other people that you think might be picking up what I'm laying down, www.chrisbercher.com. You can find me all over the place now because I've been around long enough for Google to pick up either knowledge plus experience equals wisdom or my name, chrisbercher.com. Regular videos on YouTube every Friday, podcasts on your favorite podcast server, or you can download them on my website also on every Friday. Same episode, just some have audio, some have video, and some don't. And I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and one of these days I'll get around to starting a TikTok. Happy New Year, and I look forward to my short series on curiosity coming up. And otherwise, I'll see you guys next week. Thanks for paying attention. Happy 2021. Chris Bercher, Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. Take it easy.